There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We all gotta go sometime. I was just hoping for something more heroic. Hey there friends, I'm Nuclear Yuki, and welcome once again to a nuclear reading show. Today, we're continuing on with KCAT's Fallout Equestria. And also, if you're enjoying what I'm bringing to the cold, dark wasteland, don't be afraid to tell your friends about me, or find me on Twitter as Nuclear Yuki. It's a big help. Oh, and a bit of a disclaimer, since the gangs can be a bit feisty, Fallout is owned by Bethesda and Hasbro made My Little Pony, French of his magic. With all that said and done, welcome, friends, to the Wasteland. Chapter 39, This Coming Storm, Part 1. Souls. Souls are the spirit and the essence of a pony, the fundamental core of their nature and the kernel of life that exists beyond the biology of flesh and blood and mental synapses. I had seen the empirical evidence of the reality of souls. Beyond that, my beliefs in the afterlife, where the souls of the dead ponies continued on in eternal peace, and in the transcendent souls of Celestia and Luna as goddesses, 
who watched over us with love and pity and hope. These surpassed the foundations of knowledge and were the architecture of faith. But the two things I did know, souls had a living power, and a soul was a hard thing to kill. There was no way I could know for sure if the Black Book had been destroyed, but if it was not, then it was either buried under rubble or fused into a crater of glass. The Black Book hadn't needed to be the conduit of some eldritch cosmic horror, or its pages filled with blasphemous magic, to corrupt those close to it. It was enough that the book was the host to a wicked and twisted soul, the soul of an insane, maleficent zebra. The Black Book called out to those around it who were susceptible to its influence. Two alicorns walked into the throne room. One sensed the presence of the Black Book. The other did not. Calamity had not reacted to it when I had found it. My other friends had been near it as they travelled with me, but it had sunk its barbed hooks into my mind even before I had retrieved it. We had encountered two alicorns who had been affected by the temptations of the Black Book without ever having seen it or opened its pages. Nightseer had been transformed by the book's proximity. She had been one of those who the goddess had sent to find the book. Did her telepathy leave her especially defenceless? Had the black book filled the void in her mind left by the absence of the goddess? I was vulnerable to it. My weakness, addiction, curiosity, and the shame of only having a single spell played to its strengths. The soul of the black book had been particularly ancient and powerful, I possessed the Black Book for less than two days, and it had already begun to tempt me. Clumsily, perhaps, at first. The book wasn't telepathic like the goddess. Most of the horrors in my nightmare I had provided myself. The book merely used the tools my fevered nightmares gave it. And still, I did not have the strength alone to withstand its first probing attacks. To be able to stand against that influence as it continuously tried to erode you away, to hold any part of yourself after years with the book much less to take its twisted gifts and create something noble and good from them, that would take a level of moral endurance and fortitude almost beyond comprehension. Be unwavering. How often had those six ponies from the past, through the radiance of their souls, given me insights I couldn't have had myself, or allowed me to tap reserves of strength and will that I shouldn't have been able to muster? They had saved me, and guided me since finding Applejack and Old Appaloosa, their influence growing with each statuette I found. But it was only after I'd brought them all together that they had been able to intervene on my behalf more directly. I believe it was no coincidence that Rarity was the first to appear. My mind and soul had ever so briefly become the battleground for two warring influences. One powerful soul of evil and madness, against six shards that shone with the virtue and hope of Rarity and her five closest friends. The shards of the statuettes were not truly those of the military mares, I suppose they were more like Rarity's soul wearing perfect disguises. But they shone with the true nature of those other ponies. They burned with the love and compassion and virtue and nobility of each of the Ministry Mares in turn. They were eternal, metaphysical images of the deepest, truest nature of those ponies, lit up like beacons, fueled by a shining piece of Rarity herself. Rarity, whose magical talent had always been in the shadow of Twilight Sparkle, must have seemed like easy prey to the Zebra soul within the Black Book. It had been wrong. She was one of the bearers of the elements of harmony for a reason. And when the soul images of the Ministry Mares were brought together, they brought the inner fire that fuels the elements of harmony with them. They had proven more powerful, even as mere shards, than the whole soul residing within the book. Or at least, powerful enough to give me the strength I needed to fend it off. 
If the Black Book could not stand against the Gestalt of the Ministry Mayor's souls when they were only shards, how could it have stood up against the whole soul of Twilight Sparkle combined in unity with three of the most magically powerful mares of her time? The Black Book was not telepathic, but it could sense souls around it, knowing instinctively who it could manipulate, and who it could not. That last temptation of the book had an air of desperation to it. The Zebra Soul had no way of knowing if I was about to destroy its soul jar. It had been reacting to something else. The Black Book had sensed a goddess, and it had been afraid. What happens to a soul when it no longer has a body to hold it? Does it truly transcend? Does it spread out, no longer contained, like the hydrogen in a balloon that has been popped, until it is no longer truly a soul, indistinguishable from the environment? What of the souls trapped together in the horror that was the goddess? My goal had been to destroy the physical reality of the goddess, and free the souls trapped inside, to allow Twilight Sparkle, Trixie and the others the rest they deserved and had been denied. I had not expected the goddess to try to save her children, but I had not expected the impact of the six memory orbs either. By showing those memories to the goddess, I had awoken something in Trixie. The goddess had become lost, and I believe part of her was able to find herself in those memories. The star orb had been created for comparison. By showing the memory orb to the goddess, I had acted like Rarity's mirror for Pinkie Pie. Just like I had hoped the memories of the balloon orb might stir whatever still remained of Twilight Sparkle. And what about my own soul? If I died here, would Celestia and Luna welcome me, or turn me away in horror and disgust? I knew what I'd done, for my soul was blackened from it. I'd finally taken that step off the cliff. I'd sacrificed my own morality and goodness to save the equestrian wasteland. I was red-eye now, through and through, and there would be a price for that. Thirty-eight minutes would have been plenty of time, but that time was never meant for me. It was time enough for Zenith and Calamity to escape. I had been willing to forfeit my own life. Thirty-eight minutes would have been long enough for the Alicons of the Goddess to have scoured Maripony, found the bomb, and disarmed whatever time a red-eye had constructed for it. But the Bellfire Bomb had never been in Maripony. Thirty-eight minutes was not long enough for the Alicons to have fought their way through the maze of Hellhound Warrens and found the bomb hidden dozens of yards beneath Maripony's foundations. The Balefire Bomb had gone off in a subterranean detonation directly beneath us. I awoke in pitch darkness. I felt sick, even worse than in the days past. My body was hot, my mouth was dry, my stomach was twisted painfully but there was nothing in it to heave. My body was covered in sweat, and there was a crushing weight on my lower body that brought back memories of a nightmare being trapped under a wall, crying out while I watched Calamity and Velvet walk away. There was a hiss from the darkness below, the floor beneath me slanted away. I would have slid down into the hissing blackness, but I was pinned. My pit buck was clicking slowly. For a few terrifying minutes, I had no idea where I was. Then I remembered the bomb, remembered running into the safe room, remembered bucking the emergency button. I didn't recall a whole lot after that. My memories were a jumble. But I did remember the almighty thwomp from somewhere beneath us. The feeling of the whole room being thrust upwards as the bomb annihilated everything above it. A brief moment of wastelessness and the rush of falling. Click. Click. I turned on my eyes forward sparkle, wondering when I had turned it off. 
a dozen warnings flashed across it. Asaphrum had survived two mega spells, one almost point blank. There was a microfracture somewhere in its protective walls, and radiation was leaking in. Considering how hot it must be outside, the fact that I was still alive and the room wasn't an unbearable oven spoke amazing praise of Twilight and her ministry, but I was swiftly reaching fatal levels of exposure. I floated a radway from my saddlebags, bracing against the horrid taste. According to my inventory sorter, the other medical supplies I'd packed, several healing potions and a vial of Zenith's bleeding stopper goop were all gone. I'd been conscious before, but I had no recollection of it. The magic of the safe room must have prevented me from being turned into paste by the concussive force of the blast alone. Even still, with the fall I must have taken, I was lucky I didn't break my neck. Or anything else. According to my EFS, I was remarkably unbattered for a mare who was dying. Wait, hadn't there been some pony else in here with me? Peering into the darkness, I tried to remember. My EFS compass was telling me I was alone. I lifted my pip leg and turned on the light. Oh merciful goddesses. My pip buck light shone down a room, tilted at an insane angle. The terminal bank had torn from the wall. The concrete of the ceiling had collapsed in, revealing the shiny purple-tinted metal above it. A large slab of the concrete lay across me, pinning me in place. Below, the lower third of the room was filled with discoloured water, rubble, and the mangled filing cabinet. A small spray was coming from a section in the wall which had torn open. Something floated in the dark pool beneath me. It was a more spacious coffin than the healing booth, but I'd been foolish to think this room would save me. I was trapped, locked inside, and even if I could escape, outside was instant death. I'm out of food, and the safe room's water talisman seems to have been corrupted, Twilight had said. At least I'm fairly confident that pure water isn't supposed to be that colour. The water talisman was tainted. The body of what had once been Ambrosia was beneath that water. Mostly. Her body had bulged and metastasized under the taint, straining against the armour. A blob of malformed flesh had pushed out through the open visor like a tongue. A fleshy, grotesquely misshapen worm floated on the surface of the water. I screamed as I realised it was one of my own hind legs. After several long minutes of terror, I realised I could feel both of my hind legs. Barely able to breathe, I shifted my light, trying to look under the slab that was crushing me. Both my hind legs were there, intact and healthy, except one was the pink of exposed skin with only a slight fuzz of a coat. I'd lost my leg in the fall, and I'd regrown it. I didn't think it was possible to even feel sicker, but I did. A deep, soul-aching horror filled me as I realised that I wasn't even a pony anymore. I was something else. I wanted to cry, to scream. Was I a ghoul? transformed by the bomb, or was this from my exposure to the taint? How far removed was I now from being one of the goddess's children? At least the radiation would kill me before the room filled with enough for me to drown, unless I was enough of a pseudo-alicorn that the radiation wouldn't kill me. I prayed that it was. Please, please, Celestia, I beg you, have mercy on me. I turned off my light. It was better not seeing. Something wrenched in the safe room. The concrete slab scraped against me as it shifted, drawing blood. 
The wounds were already closing as I tried to brace myself, worried that the slab might slide off. And then I felt the whole room lift, soaring into the air. The tainted water washed over me as the room righted itself. The misshapen flesh blob that had once been my leg washed up against me. I screamed in horror at the slimy touch of my desecrated form of flesh. A violent grinding filled the air, and the metal shutters over the windows pulled away, revealing a purple-tinted sky of clouds filled with blowing ash. The armoured glass shattered, the razor-sharp shards hovering and then whisking away. My pitbuck began to click rapidly. Somewhere above, I spotted the dark silhouette of a wagon and a glowing light of green and gold. For a moment, I thought it was pyolite, but then I recognised the glow was coming from a pegasus. Had my friends come to rescue me? How? And at what cost? Oh, calamity! I thought, weeping without tears. What have you done? But something was wrong. A purple glow enveloped me, a second floating the slab off my leg. I was levitated out through the obliterated window. The super alicorn, her coat a dark purple to the point of black, stared at me with glowing eyes as she casually tossed away the safe room, performing telekinesis that would have overstrained me with effortless ease. The clouds above seemed awfully close. I glanced downward. We were very, very high. Below, the second crater of Splendid Valley glowed in the aftermath. With a beat of her wings, she flew up level with the wagon above us, bringing me with her. I realised at once that the wagon was not the Sky Bandit, and the glowing Pegasus was not Calamity. Ditsy do! The super irradiated ghoul grinned happily at me, a sickly golden green light emanating from her mouth and around her teeth. The creatures of radiation do not merely heal in its presence. If they absorb enough of it, they grow stronger, more powerful. Ditsy Doo had come into Splendid Valley looking for me. She had saved me, and... The Super Alicorn set me on the front bench of the absolutely everything delivery wagon right behind Ditsy Doo. Without the glow of her magic, the purple tint vanished from the sky, traded for a sickly green. My pitbox clicking went insane. We were high enough above the crater for the radiation levels to be merely bad, but Ditsy Doo was shedding enough radiation to make this a very short rescue. The glowing ghoul smiled and pointed back at the wagon. I turned around, looking in through the small window. Inside the wagon were crates of Radaway, the packets glowing an inviting orange. I quickly levitated several and began to drink, turning to thank her. I stopped as my eyes caught the cutie mark on the Super Alicorn's flank, a large pink star surrounded by smaller white ones. The Super Alicorn was silent, impassive. Her gaze seemed fixed on my saddlebags. I was struck by a flash of insight. The goddess sent her children away, but she was telepathic, maintaining contact with them. When her body was destroyed, and the souls of the countless ponies who had been consumed into her were set free, some of them, the strongest ones, found their way into the bodies of her fleeing children. Possession. But those bodies already had souls of their own, and it was unlikely that this could last. Already, the cutie mark on the Super Alicorn was beginning to fade. I scrambled. If this was Twilight Sparkle in any way, there was something she needed to hear. I turned up the volume on my ear bloom and levitated it towards her as I found the file. The voice of Pinkie Pie, tinny and distorted, crackled through the air. Hi Twilight, it's me!
I mean, I have you with me now, so you'll kind of be with me anyway. But it's not the same. I want the real Twilight Sparkle. I... I want my friend back. Please? I'll do anything. The Super Alicorn had hovered, seeming transfixed by the sound, until the message ended. Then, wordlessly, she turned and began to fly away. The cutie mark on her flank was already completely gone. Twilight, wait! I cried out after the disappearing alicorn. Star Sparkle's still alive! And Spike! But whatever part of Twilight Sparkle my words might have once been able to reach was gone now. Evaporated. Or, if my heart could hope, just asleep. I wanted to cry, but my body couldn't produce tears. I drank another of those horrid radaways as Ditsy Doo turned and began flying us out of Splendid Valley. Ditsy Doo brought the wagon low as we reached the edge of the valley. We began flying along the border, moving more slowly. We were searching for something. I asked what, but Ditsy Doo couldn't speak. What did you do? What did you just do? The voice of Ambrosia fluttered through my mind. I fought to remember. I told her about the bomb. I was sure about that. But I couldn't recall exactly what I had said. But an antsy mare with a magical energy battle saddle didn't exactly engender a desire to lie. Her response had been to try to call Harbringer through the broadcaster built into her helmet. This room's designed to stop mega spells. I recalled telling her. Your radio isn't going to penetrate. She had looked at me with panic. I have to tell Harbringer. He has to get out of here. We have to pull back. Her words had sparked a burst of fear in my breast. How many ponies do you have outside? The ground passed slowly beneath us. I couldn't remember any more. I caught them on my eyes forward sparkle, friendly lights appearing on my EFS compass, before I actually spotted my friends. As we approached a clearing not far from the devastated red-eye camp, steel hooves appeared, pulling camouflage netting off the sky bandit. Velvet remedy, zenith and calamity emerged from within. They looked worn, weary and bedraggled. Calamity immediately took to the air while Velvet and Zenith scanned the skies. Pyolite was missing from the group. Where was Pyolite? Did you find anything this time? My Pegasus friend shouted. I tried to jump up, but my body just didn't have the energy. So instead, I waved. He couldn't see me anyway. Ditsy Doo was too bright. Ditsy Doo flew us in closer, pulling up and hovering at the edge of the clearing. I downed yet another Radaway as she waved Calamity back. I felt weak, sick and half dead. My body was alien to me now. I wasn't me anymore. But all of that paled in comparison to the wash of joy at the impending reunion. I needed to get to Tempony Tower, get cleansed of all the taint I'd suffered, assess what's left of me, and, if Amage would still have me, spend a forever with her and my friends. A short forever, unfortunately. I cleared the way for Red-Eye to ascend, and he still had a host of unicorns he planned to sacrifice in the process. With the threats of the goddess and the Black Book taken care of, I now had a new quest before me, to brave the Everfree Forest and rescue those unicorns from Red-Eye's cathedral. I probably didn't have a lot of time, now that Red-Eye couldn't count on Alicorns for protection anymore. He would likely act fast. But I was in no shape to fight a Radroach, much less infiltrate a stronghold. My body was weeping for me to give it care and rest. I couldn't push further until I had done so.
Hi, it's little Pip. Calamity shouted ecstatically. Hi, Everypony. Ditty's brought back little Pip. She's alive. Velvet Remedy and Zenith began to stomp in applause. Velvet gave out a thankful shout. Steelhoofs whinnied. Thank Applejack. He turned to the others. Okay, let's get out of here. I don't like being in one place too long, especially this close to... The ground erupted. Fountains of dirt burst into the air as half a dozen hellhounds tore themselves out of the ground. Ditsy-Doo pulled up as one of them swung her magical energy rifle around and fired at us. Velvet Remedy let out a scream. Calamity spun in the air, kicking the lever of his battle saddle, switching ammo. One of the hellhounds closed on Zenith, taking a swipe. The zebra ducked, turning and bucking the hellhound in the chest, dropping her. Steelhooves began to fire, his grenade machine gun tearing apart one of the hellhounds as she aimed a multi-gem magical shotgun towards Velvet and Zenith. Get to the wagon! Calamity shouted as he took a shot, staggering a hellhound who was trying to climb onto the sky bandit. The earth beneath Steelhooves blasted upwards as a hellhound lashed up out of the ground. The hellhound's claw slashed in a long arc, slicing through Steelhooves' armour. Steelhoof's armoured body fell to the broken ground with a heavy thud. His armoured head rolled a few yards away. The world stopped. The battle still raged, but it was someplace far away, all the colour and sound seeming to mute, leaving just me, the beating of my heart, and the slow rocking of Steelhoof's head. Steelhoof's was dead. A cold, wet chill ran down my body, there was no coming back from that. I'd seen Zenith decapitate Cantalot Zebra. The little pony in my head was just shaking in denial. No, no, she insisted. There'll be an ugly warping sound and he'll be back up with us, just like always. Steelhooves was dead. I couldn't move, couldn't feel, couldn't breathe. My mind was just locked up. The gears jammed. The hellhounds weren't going to give me a moment to process, much less to grieve. The hellhound who'd killed Steelhoof stepped forward, skewered his claws through Steelhoof's helmet, then spun and hurled the armoured head of my companion, trying to knock us out of the sky. Ditsy-Doo dodged and Steelhoof's head slammed against her wagon next to me, splintering wood. The impact cracked his helmet's headlamp. Something snapped inside me. My horn burst with light. Layer upon layer of overglow, brighter than even Ditsy Do. The hellhounds were surrounded with light as they shot upwards into the sky. All of them, higher and higher until they were nothing but dark specks. And then they weren't visible at all. Steel hooves! Velvet screamed, dashing to the fallen, headless body and wrapping it in her forelegs. All the others turned, eyes wide as they realised we had lost one of our own. Thud! The ground shook as the first hellhound fell out of the sky. The mangled, broken body oozed. Do you even know what the Balefire is? Another flash of memory tugged at me as we approached New Appaloosa. We were flying low, moving quickly. Zenith stood on the Sky Bandit, watching the clouds. I got the impression we should be walking, but my condition was too severe for me to even try the journey. It ain't safe to fly no more, Calamity called out to me, flying as close as he could to the absolutely everything wagon without suffering ditzy exposure. Damn enclave have patrols everywhere, and anything airborne tends to catch their attention. 
Not that the Scarbander has a low profile, considering our cloud breach last month. We just couldn't catch a break. You sure it was our bringer you saw in Maripony? Calamity asked as we began to slow. That's who he said he was. I called back, hating how much effort it took to shout. Damn, I figured this had to be big when a whole regiment of Enclave descended on Maripony. Zenith and I barely made it out of there. But we blew up a member of the Enclave High Council? I could use one of your creative swears about now, little pip. Calamity frowned. Congratulations! Well, we just declared war on the Enclave. Ouch. But even as I grimaced, I realized that the Enclave had shown up knowing that Red Eye was plotting against the Goddess. If anything, they would suspect that he'd been behind the bomb, and I'd been his agent, which, on a very real level, was absolutely accurate. From the Enclave's perspective, Red Eye had just declared war. I could see Pylite circling above the city, a single bird of prey. She let out a hoot as the two wagons landed, Dixie Doo setting down a little distance from the Sky Bandit. Pylite dove out of the air, disappearing into the town. Maybe he got out, I offered weakly. Not much chance of that, Calamity called back. Moment the Alicorns were clear, a huge Alicorn shield wrapped all around Maripony. I reckon she was trying to chap you inside with her. No pony got out. Or she was trying to contain the blast, protecting her fleeing children. With a shield that powerful, generated by the goddess herself, the only thing that would get out through it was her telepathy, until the second that the bomb killed her. That was, assuming she didn't realise that the bomb wasn't within her shield. In truth, the Burfire bomb was planted far enough beneath the facility that it very well could have been outside her shield. And if she suspected that, maybe she was trying to save herself. Either way, it didn't matter. The megaspell augmented Balefire had proven greater than the goddess's power. It's magical fire! I had offered, answering Ambrosia even as I realised that I really didn't know what Balefire was, other than greed and radioactive. It's bottled necromancy-enhanced dragon's breath, Ambrosia had told me. The magical, disintegrative type of dragon's breath that can send you someplace else. In the case of Balefire, probably straight to hell. Based on the possession of the Super Alicorn, who had probably been a normal Alicorn until Twilight Sparkle flew around the new crater in Splendid Valley searching for survivors, Ambrosia's guess was almost certainly wrong, but the concept was still chilling. Something Rarity had said struck me. I even tried to have Spike burn it, but all that did was send it to Princess Celestia. I remembered thinking of Spike roasting an Enclave pony inside her armour. It was horrid and sickening to witness but I felt a little better about it if I could imagine he was sending her soul straight to Celestia, which led to the hurting reality of the body being carried inside the Sky Bandit. Should we have Steelhoofs cremated? Would Spike be willing? We can't stay here, Calamity said, the normal cheer gone from his voice. He looked at Ditsy Doo. None of us. Ditsy Doo nodded softly. She dropped one of her chalkboards and wrote on it, Is this permanent? Nah. I reckon it should bleed off, just like when Pilot soaked in the Philadelphia crater, Calamity assured her. But Pilot took days to return to normal, Velvet Remedy reminded him. Her eyes were still wet and puffy with tears. She had been riding with Steelhoof's body and head, keeping watch over him. And Ditsy Doo has taken far more radiation than Pilot did. Could be weeks. The sweet ghoul mare looked panicked. She quickly erased her chalkboard and wrote, Silver Bell 
in large letters. Velvet Remedy nodded, smiling sadly. I'll stay here and watch over her. You can't, I said, speaking up finally. We're not allowed inside town. Zenith looked up in surprise. We are not? She asked, her exotic voice betraying her own depression. When did we offend this town? Before your time, Calamity said. Back when it was just little Pip, Velvet and me. Well, then I am not bad, it would seem, Zenith asserted. Turning to Ditsy Doo, she smiled gently. It would be a pleasure to watch Silverbell for you while you have to be away. Ditsy Doo forgot herself, swooping up to the zebra and hugging Zenith. A tight, albeit squishy hug. Zenith stiffened but bit back any response. The ghoul Pegasus backed away, writing, Sorry, on her chalkboard. Hi, look, Ditsy, Calamity offered. I might know where y'all could get some help. There's a mayor up in Friendship City who's been researching radiation and its effects on creatures. If any poor can help you shed this off quicker, it'll be her. Ditsy Doo smiled brightly, one of her eyes rolling upward as she visibly fought her urge to hug Calamity now. Why don't you travel with us for a spell? Calamity offered. I ain't safe to travel alone, and we're headed that way, ain't we, little Pip? Tempody Tower, I nodded, realising we couldn't cremate Steelhoof's body. He wasn't ours. Fetlock first. We have to take Steelhoof's back to Stable 29. The massive gate to New Appaloosa rumbled open. The Griffin bodyguard who I'd seen with Ditsy Doo before flew out, Silverbell scampering after him. Her eyes went wide as she saw Ditsy Doo. Mummy! You look like Pyolite! The little lavender filly began to charge across the road between us, trying to reach her. Zenith swiftly caught her, holding her back. Mummy! I heard a strangled sound. I wasn't sure if it was from Velvet or Ditsy Doo. The glowing Pegasus rubbed her hoof against her chalkboard, erasing Silverbell's name, and wrote something else before picking her chalkboard up again. Silverbell struggled against the restraining legs of Zenith and began to cry. Ditsy Doo trotted halfway to where Zenith was holding Silverbell, as close as she dared to get, and set the chalkboard down on the street. Stay away, love. Mummy's poison. The clouds had begun to darken, threatening the equestrian wasteland with another storm. Dark shadows moved just behind the surface of the clouds. As we watched, the shadows took the shape of great black warships descending beneath the cloud curtain. Each warship was a huge deployment hangar and held platforms for massive magical energy cannons. Flanked by blackest thunderclouds and moving through the air on a dozen propellers, through my binoculars, I could barely make out the swarms of black dots that were armored pegasi flying in formations between the warships. Raptors! Calamity announced grimly, watching as the warships descended lower, altering course slightly. Dragon killers. I allowed my magic to expire, dropping my binoculars onto the ground next to me. I was at a loss for an appropriately colourful metaphor. Anything involving Luna's horn now struck me as grievously inappropriate. My gaze found Ditsy Doo, the brightest point of light. She was enwrapped in a lead-lined cloak, something she had the griffin fetch from her shop. An old mailbag hung from her side, but her hooves, face and wings still burned like an emerald furnace. I recalled something Amarge had said as DJ Pwn3, claiming a male pony had delivered a letter from Ditsy Doo. Beneath the anti-radiation barding Ditsy Doo had provided me, and my own barding beneath, 
My own coat was growing back over my hind leg. My new hind leg. Just thinking about that felt deeply wrong. I'd been drinking enough Radoid to purge most of the radiation from my system, even travelling in the back of absolutely everything delivery wagon, but I still felt weak and twisted up inside. We were just a hill back from Trixie's cottage. In theory, we had stopped for lunch, but no pony was eating. I couldn't stomach anything. Ditsy Doo didn't have to eat, and neither Velvet nor Calamity had any appetite. They both just stared at their cans of beans until Ditsy Doo trotted up, dropping her chalkboard which said, Your poor beans are getting all lonely. They want to be with their stomach friends. Calamity chuckled and nibbled a little after that. Velvet had just given a sad smile. I drank another rad away. I've been coming down out of the sky like that for the last two days, Calamity informed me. Ponies are freaking out, going in a harden. The whole damn wasteland feels like it's under martial law. He looked askance at me. They took over the broadcast this morning, both Red Eye and DJ Pwn3. Radio's now all enclave, all the time. I put in my ear bloom and turned on my Pitbox radio, trying to ignore the squirming feeling in my insides. Instead of Amarja's music or DJ Pwn3's voice, I got the end of a Pegasus anthem. Greetings, ponies of Equestria. By now, you have seen our ships in the sky overhead. Perhaps our Pegasi have even landed in your streets. But there is no need for alarm. Our scouts are merely assessing the current situation before we determine how best we can help you. I switched it off. I'd had better propaganda from Red Eye. I'm trying not to doubt myself here, Calamity admitted. I left because I realised the Enclave never intended to rejoin the rest of Equestria. The Enclave wasn't interested in helping down here. Now I'm second-guessing a lot of things. They tried to make a deal with the Goddess, I told him. They aren't here to help. Uh, yeah, Calamity said dourly. I don't really figure they were. This is just a backup plan. Calamity started packing up the camouflage netting again. Where did you get that? I asked. Steel hooves. Calamity sighed. When the Enclave first appeared, he procured this from Crossroads. Said we needed to keep the Skybounder covered whenever we weren't moving. I swallowed. I started to think of all the time steel hooves had protected us. But ended up just thinking about his voice. That deep, masculine rumble. Like Flutterguy's voice, Watcher had claimed. And how I'd never hear it from him again. My burning eyes wanted to cry. He was real good at that. Calamity said solemnly, thinking tactically. We shared a moment of silence. Minutes later, we were flying again. We'd been trying to keep low, but the train was about to make that difficult. Calamity winged us upwards, gaining altitude as we passed over the ruins of Trixie's cottage. There were several alicorns standing around it. They didn't pierce more than a fleeting glance. If anything, I would have said they looked lost. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Tomorrow, Crossroads told us, I blinked with surprise. We were in the security centre of Stable 29. A sombre air hung over the entire stable. Steelhoof's body had been taken into the Crusader mainframe room by an honour guard. Tomorrow? I asked, swaying slightly. My body felt so weak. My hooves wanted a rest. My mind was fogged, but I was fairly sure that this new acting elder's announcement was abnormal. Isn't that overly fast? Star Paladin Crossroads neighed. Every Steel Ranger outcast who would be able to make it is already here. Applejack's Rangers. Calamity spoke up. At Crossroads' querying look, Calamity explained, I know that ain't an official name, but that's a steel hoofs out of y'all. Looking down at his hooves, he added, Should honour it, that's all I'm saying. The brown mare with a cropped yellow mane nodded. As I said, all the Applejack's Rangers who would be able to attend the Elder's funeral are already here. There is no delay. It would be unseemly to allow his body to go unburied. I imagine there were internal matters to address as well. Steelhooves had been the leader and the symbol that all these rangers had rallied around. With him gone, Crossroads had to act quickly to keep the rangers from falling apart. Every pony seemed to expect Crossroads to step into the role of Elder. Many already acted as if she was. But I sensed there was some official protocol that needed to be attended and Crossroads was not willing to take these steps while Steelhooves remained unburied. Her love and respect for him were too much to allow that. Will you be able to attend? Wild Mancars couldn't drag us away, Calamity said. I quickly offered a prayer to Luna that Calamity's words didn't beg prophecy. I nodded. I couldn't travel any more tonight if I wanted to. I smiled grimly. I was having trouble standing. We'll stay the night, so long as that's all right with you. And you have a place to do can stay safely. Crossroads smiled grimly. Your glowing friend? We can put her in one of the shielded rooms in maintenance, she explained. I'm not going to turn away Sumpony just because she is a ghoul, especially not on the eve of Steelhoof's funeral. But I can't have her trotting around the stable either. She's dangerous to those around her. I nodded. I knew Dittidoo would understand. Where? No, that was it. My legs decided that they were done with this standing thing and wanted to try something else. How about falling over? Yeah, that sounded good. Thump. Little Pip? Calamity reared, his voice full of worry. I'm... I'm fine. I told him quickly. Floor's nice. I think I'll just stay down here for a little while. Crossroads stepped forward. What's wrong with her? Little Pip was in Splendid Valley when the mega spell went off. Calamity told her worriedly. She keeps breaking all the rules and surviving the impossible, and I think reality is starting to kick her tail for it. I'll have our medics, Crossroads was saying. I'm getting velvet, Calamity swore, turning and flying out of the room. I sighed. All this fuss. I just needed to rest a bit. Just a little nap.
dark grey clouds hung over Equestria the next morning. A cold wind blew across the grass, bringing the scent of impending rain. Soft rumbles of thunder growled in the depths of the cloud curtain. Somewhere in the distance, the cracking booms of some sort of gunfire echoed across the landscape. We were gathered on the greens of the rolling hills near Steelhoof's shack. The wind rippled the dark water of the lake. Behind us, Dictidoo stood near a single large tree on the hilltop. She had draped a large black sheet over her lead cloak, her glowing face and hooves shining out from under it. The ghoul Pegasus had somehow known to bring several such sheets. I sat in a wheelchair just up the hill from the rows of armor-clad rangers that flanked both sides of the procession. I had been up for a little over an hour. I had passed out on the floor of the security centre and slept all night in the stable clinic. The rest had done me a world of good, but I still felt terrible and alien in my own body. Velvet Remedy had washed me, hardly speaking a word the entire time, then insisted I attend the funeral off my hooves. Calamity had created black dresses for both Velvet Remedy and myself out of the additional sheets provided by Ditsy Doo, again demonstrating his freaky knowledge of sewing. The cloth matched the colour of my heart. I was drowning in sorrow, but I still hadn't managed to cry. I felt like I was broken. The rangers on each side of the aisle stomped slowly in unison, a processional beat. Six rangers in ceremonial barding walked slowly down the cleared aisle, their mouths holding the rods that held up the platform upon which Steelhoof's body rested. I noticed that Strawberry Lemonade was one of the pallbearers. Tears were spilling from her eyes as she kept up with the larger stallions, walking Steelhoof's to the hole in the ground that would be his final resting place. Somebody had welded Steelhoof's head back on. Somehow, that was what got me most. My breath caught, then came out in shudders. My whole body began to tremble, racked with sobs. Velvet Remedy reached up a hoof and held me gently. She'd been crying softly since we left Stable 29, and most of the trip yesterday. Now she comforted me while the dam inside me broke. My eyes burned fiercely. I still had no tears, but my whole body did what my eyes could not. Star Paladin Crossroads stepped forward as the pallbearers reached the pit. She began to say the words she'd written the night before, words spoken on Steelhoof's behalf. Applejack's Rangers, Crossroads began. That is what Elder Steelhooves called us. My mind drifted as Crossroads spoke. I went back to when Steelhooves first began travelling with us. So, why are you still with us? I had asked Steelhooves. Maybe I have nothing better to do. Lived through more than any of us could imagine, Crossroads was saying. He'd survived more than we could fathom, and through the centuries... His heart never strayed from his love and commitment to one single mare. I doubted him. He had kept his motivations, like his feelings, close to his chest. I remembered with pain that there was a time I considered bucking him to the curb. I follow you because you are a better pony than I am, and you remind me of some pony else. You honestly strive to help and protect other ponies. I believe she would have approved of you. He had said that when I called him into question. I haven't been faithful to my oath for a long time, but at your side, I can be again. Nothing more appropriate than to repeat the words he spoke to us all. Crossroads reminded the rangers gathered before her. In the words of Steelhooves, I call on you to stop and consider your oath. Consider where you are and what you are doing. Do your loyalties lie with Applejack? 
the mayor of the Ministry of Wartime Technology, the creator of the Steel Ranger armour, and the mayor who, by her own hooves, the sweat of her brow and the honesty of her heart, forged the Steel Rangers. Another memory galloped on the hooves of the last. Steel Hooves and I staring out over the harbour, looking towards Friendship City. I need to thank you, little Pip. For what? I had asked. For failing. Steelhoofs had answered, surprising me. All this time, you have been someone to look up to. You have made me want to be a better pony. But at the same time, you were too good. You were an impossible standard. Tonight, you have made it easier for me to live with myself. I curled up against Velvet Remedy, burying my face in her dress. Applejack was put in charge of the Ministry of Wartime Technology because she was the bearer of one of the elements of harmony, and the rule of her equestria recognised the calibre of that. Do you think it was the virtue in her soul, or the jewellery on her neck that made Applejack a bearer? The mayor who was soon to replace Steelhooves continued to speak his words with the reverence they deserved. Today, you must choose with whom your oath lies. Another memory surfaced, filling me with fresh pain for my friend and for all he had lost. It is better that my child never knew me. Steelhooves had been a haunted pony. The shadows of his past, his sins and mistakes, pressed down on him. I'm sorry, little Pip. I did everything I could to make them believe taking Stable 2 was a mistake. I have been for decades. But after you two showed up, and they realised there was still a functional stable down there. I'd been so angry at him, even though he had tried his best. Part of me had wanted to kill him on the spot. He didn't resist or fight back. Instead, he had stepped up, become the better pony he had wanted to be. Thank you, Steelhoofs, Zenith had said, for helping my daughter's village. I know it must be hard for an old soldier to help Zebrakin. Applejack would have wanted her rangers to protect all good people, not just ponies. He had struggled with his own prejudice, and was finally beginning to overcome that too. He had taken steps on a path to recovery that he would now never be able to complete. I tried to remember the last thing I'd heard him say, a warning urging us to move, but the words themselves slipped from my memory. Instead, the actual words I clearly remembered my friend speaking were, The rest of you can go ahead if you wish, but Applejack would not want her rangers to ignore or cry for help. Carry on in his name. And in his memory, Crossroads said, concluding her eulogy. There was a pregnant silence, broken only by the wind and the sounds of strange gunfire that continued in the distance, unabated. Is there any pony else who wishes to speak? Crossroads offered, the sadness soaking her voice, before we lower Steelhooves into his final rest. I pulled myself away from Velvet Remedy and focused my magic, rolling forward. She walked beside me as we made our way to the front. I turned towards the expected heads of the rangers. I opened my muzzle, but my voice caught in my throat. Another sob shuddered through me. I stared down. Again, Velvet put a steadying hoof on my shoulder. I... I swallowed heavily. I only knew Apple Snack for a short time, but I may have known him better than any pony. He shared things with me. Memories. I stopped. I couldn't continue. Instead, 
I lifted my pitbuck-infused leg. Velvet Remedy's horn began to glow. I... there's nothing I can say to do him justice. But as Applesnack is lowered, I want to play this song. It was his and Applejack's song. I started the music. Velvet's magic amplified it beautifully, allowing it to carry across the grassy hills, wafting over the pits of sand and out across the lake like a breeze. I want to calm the storm, but the war is in your eyes. How can I shield you from the horror and the lies? When all that once held meaning is shattered, ruined, bleeding, and the whispers in the darkness tell me we won't survive. As the song played, the knight stepped forward, setting down the platform where Steelhoof's body rested, encased still in his Steel Ranger's armour, adorned with red trim and Applejack's cutie mark painted on the flank. The platform rested over the pit, the poles resting on the edges of the freshly dug earth. All things will end in time. This coming storm won't linger. Why should we live as if there's nothing more? So hold me neath the thunder clouds, my heart held in your hooves. Our love will keep the monsters from our door. The song was only marred by the rumble of distant thunder and the persistent sound of weapons fire. Strawberry Lemonade stepped away, her tear-reddened eyes meeting mine. Then she turned away, looking into the distance. I heard the sharp intake of air as Strawberry Lemonade gasped, lifted my gaze in the direction she was staring. Far, far away, I could see the mountain rage that rang through Equestria, the silhouette of Cantalot jutting out from the tallest cliffside, wrapped in a haze of pink that had been slowly bleeding away over the last few days. Dark forms hovered around the city, sparking flashes of coloured light. For I know tomorrow will be a better day. Yes, I believe tomorrow can be a better day. A few of the other rangers were turning to look, although most kept their focus reverently on steel hooves. Against the better judgement of my aching heart, I floated out my binoculars and turned them towards Cantalot. Enclave raptors, several of them, were firing on the Cantalot ruins. No, I realised as a spike of disbelief and dread lanced through me. They were firing under the city. Oh, goddesses, they couldn't! But even as I thought the words... The reinforced supports beneath the royal city gave way. The city above shifted, white towers cracking and breaking apart as the Hall of Cantalot crashed down the mountainside. The rumble echoed all over the equestrian wasteland, almost indistinguishable from the rest of the distant thunder. A black pit swallowed my heart. Welcome back, Fur! I had promised. Until then, she's safe here! My last promise to Steelhooves, and now... I would never be able to keep it. The Enclave had destroyed the Cantalot ruins, casually killing every pony in Stable City. The wind cut into my mane as I stood before the grave marker that one of the ranger ponies had already created. It was a beautiful, stately marker fashioned from a chunk of polished rose granite that had been scavenged from the Fetlock Chamber of Commerce. Red and grey. Steelhooves colours. Here rests Elder Steelhoof's Applesnack, forefather of the Applejack's Rangers. Steadfast, enduring, unwavering, and a true friend. Calamity stood beside me, Velvet Remedy just behind. Zenith should be here, I noted mournfully. Ay-yup, agreed Calamity. She's here in spirit, Velvet Remedy reminded us. I looked down at the base of the gravestone, and the special holder that had been fashioned there. She ain't the only one, Calamity said, 
following my gaze. In this special niche rested the orange statuette with the blonde mane and tail, which I told Crossroads that she would find in Steelhoof's shack. The words, Be strong, were barely visible where the base was set into the granite. His little pony would watch over him forever. The spirit of Applejack would never leave his side. I rolled slowly down the hall of Stable 29, my thoughts filled with shadows and regrets and pain. I'd failed Steelhooves. He was dead, and I'd failed him. He'd only asked one thing of me. He'd asked me to save just one pony. But I'd left Star Sparkle and Cantalot. Now she was dead. I wondered if the Enclave even knew they'd wiped out a village of ponies, if they'd bothered to check before they started their attack. If they even cared. I reached the end of the hall and looked up at the lit banner above the door. Vinyl scratch. I lifted a hoof and clopped it against the door. Velvet! A voice drifted out from inside. I want to be alone. Velvet, please! I knew she was taking the loss of steel hooves hard, but I'd begun to really worry when Calamity had told me she'd locked herself in Vinyl Scratch's room. It's time for us to go! I said... I wanted to be alone, she shouted from behind the door, making me flinch. Velvet? Something was wrong, even more wrong than I knew. Please, talk to me. I heard the door unlock. The metal slid away with a pneumatic hiss. Velvet Remedy was standing there, looking wrecked, a cross expression on her face. Her horn was glowing. You don't want to talk to me right now, little Pip. Now go! I focused, beginning to roll inside. She telekinetically threw something at me, hitting me in the chest. I looked down at the object which had bounced off me and fallen into my lap. It was a box of memory orbs. Steelhooves memory orbs. You knew, Velvet said firmly, but surprisingly without accusation. Calamity told me that much, but I didn't realise Steelhooves knew too. All of you did. Oh, goddesses. She'd looked at his memories. She'd seen him dying on the battlefield the day that Fluttershy first tested the mega spells. Velvet! I began, only to find there was nothing I could possibly say other than... I'm sorry. Just go. I choked. I... I was trying. I should have... Told me? She questioned, a pain smirk crossing her muzzle. I know why you didn't. You were trying to spare me the truth, trying to save me, and others, I suspect. That's what you do, isn't it? There was something in her voice that I deeply disliked. I'd been fearing this day for weeks, sure that the truth about Fluttershy's role in the end of things would devastate Velvet Remedy. I was expecting rage, screaming, not this. Fluttershy, she made a mistake, I offered wanting to tell Velvet that the Megaspell bombs weren't really Fluttershy's fault, or the death and destruction couldn't be laid at her idol's hooves, that it was okay to still love Fluttershy. She created... She created something beautiful, Velvet Remedy interjected sternly, breaking no room for argument. The only mistake was that she gave it to any pony. That... well, I should be relieved to hear her say that, right? So why wasn't I? Now, if you'll excuse me, I want to be alone, she said gravely, 
I don't think I can travel with you anymore. What? I breathed, my wounded heart breaking. I couldn't lose another friend. Not now. Why? Velvet Remedy huffed, becoming truly cross. You really want to leave, little Pip, before I say something we will both regret. She began to walk away, trying to close the door behind her. It refused to shut, sensing that I was in the way. But... Velvet Remedy spun, stomping. Fluttershy's mistake was giving the mega spells to other ponies. She'd created magics of life and healing. How could I not love her for that? She glared. But it was beyond naive to think she could give megaspells to anybody without them turning into something horrible. I fought to respond, but my brain wasn't working. I felt paralysed as I watched one of my dearest friends seem to self-destruct. Oh, I understand why she thought the other ponies would use the spells for good. I've been just as stupid. I've spent all my life wanting to help ponies because I've held to this idiotic, naive belief that deep inside we are inherently good, that we deserve to be helped, to be saved. Her words were giving me unpleasant flashbacks to Mr. Topaz. We... we are basically good. Velvet Remedy laughed a broken, nasty laugh. Haven't you been paying attention, little Pip? She scolded. Did you somehow miss Arbu? How about Fluttershy's cottage? Or every other damn thing we've seen? She shook her head. Deep inside, we're all raiders. My muzzle hung open. No, that's not true! I knew Velvet Remedy was hurting. I prayed this was her pain speaking. I couldn't bear seeing her like this. No? She countered. Even the best of us fall to evil at the drop of a hat. Do you know what the worst thing I have ever done in my life was? I suspected she was about to bring up killing the raiders in Fluttershy's home. But she surprised me. It was when I tried to use you to make Calamity jealous. I knew you loved me, and I... She lowered her head. It was horrible. What I tried to do was cruel and unkind. I didn't deserve forgiveness. I wanted to reach out and hug her. To hold her. But I forgave you. I told her softly. We all have moments of... Evil? She interrupted. That's the point, little Pip. Hell, you're possibly the most selfless noble pony in the wasteland. And look at what you've done. We're here attending Steelhoof's funeral because you decided to set off a mega spell in their den. I reeled as if she had bucked me. Honestly... I know you just think of them as monsters, and even I know why you had to do it. The goddess was a threat to everyone and everything, but you blew up their home to get at her, little Pip. Oh, goddesses. You massacred all those little monster families with their little monster children. Her tone was sad and without malice, but each word slammed into me with the force of a sledgehammer. Honestly, what did you expect them to do? Roll over and play dead? She looked directly into my eyes. Steelhooves is dead because of what you did. My whole body went numb. And the worst part is that it was the right thing to do. All of this, Steelhooves' death, it was all my fault. And you were the best of us. She reached up and pushed me out of the doorway with a hoof. I'm not coming with you, little Pip. I can't save the wasteland if I can't believe the ponies in it are worth saving. 
the metal door slid shut between us. I fell out of my wheelchair and curled up on the floor, hurt beyond the telling of it. Finally, the tears came, and they wouldn't stop. Calamity came looking for me. I didn't want to move. I just wanted to die. I did this, I moaned, unable to cry anymore. Now you stop that rad now you hear, Calamity ordered. You risk your own life and nearly lost it saving the equestrian wasteland from one of the biggest threats I can imagine. You're a big damn hero, and I won't stand for none of this self-pity. That bomb killed how many? Hellhounds, Pegasi, how many unintended dead, just to take out the goddess. I imagined even Red Eye would be appalled at how I had discarded my morals. Where I see it, you saved every pony, Calamity told me. And weren't your fault the damn enclave showed up when they did? No pony could have predicted that. How about the hellhounds? Calamity nickered. Oh, damn it, velvet, he stomped. The hellhounds are nothing but murderous territorial monsters who kill ponies indiscriminately. They have been for centuries. Y'all saved countless lives of weapons on many of them out. He was right, but that didn't stop me thinking of the magical dragon's fire burning away monster families filled with helpless, screaming children. Let's go get you well, little Pip. I blinked, looking up at him. You're coming with me? I was actually surprised that the Pegasus nodded. I want to stay with Velvet. Be here for her, Calamity told me, flapping his wings in discomfort. But y'all need to get to Manhattan, and it ain't safe for y'all to travel alone. A sick heroine and a ghoul merchant? He shook his head. She'll be hurting something fierce, but if I don't come along, I reckon you might not make it. And I ain't aimed to lose any more friends this week. Manhattan. Homage. My heart was bleeding out. I needed her so badly. The idea of seeing her again filled me with dread. How could she possibly want anything to do with me after all I had done? After what I had become? He leaned down and gave me a nozzle. Especially not my first one. I felt a brush of warmth against my bleak, dying heart. Thank you. I... I'm sorry for pulling you away from her. From what I gather, y'all have given her more help than I could. If there's any way out of the darkness she's in right now, those little statue thingies are the best guards you could hope for. Sometimes my Pegasus friend was startlingly wise. Calamity and I huddled together in the back of the delivery wagon, clad in anti-radiation barding. Our ghoul friend had smiled broadly as she produced the second suit from the back of the wagon. This one tailored for a Pegasus stallion. I was beginning to think Ditsy Doo really did carry absolutely everything we might need. Calamity had strapped his battle saddle on over the anti-radiation barding, foregoing his normal armour. Even with the barding, we were having to consume Radaway at least once every hour. Calamity didn't have to be in here with me, but he insisted. I was both thankful and annoyed with him for it. Calamity didn't want to risk taking the Sky Bandit into Manhattan. Crossroads had confirmed reports of a lot of Enclave operating within the city. So we would either have to go in on Hoof, or in Ditsy Doo's wagon. The trip shouldn't take more than a few hours. We were going to stop off at Tempony Tower first, drop me off, and then Calamity was going to go with Ditsy Doo to Friendship City. If Amarge would still have me, I hoped to spend a week wrapped in her embrace. Oh, pony feathers, Calamity said looking up from our 14th game. Best uh, 39? 
I was beginning to suspect he was letting me win. Really, no pony could be this bad at tic-tac-toe. I felt the wagon slow. Oh, hell. Calamity spat as two enclave pegasi shot past the wagon and yawed, circling back towards us. Halt, Pegasus! One of them called out, her armour magnifying her voice and altering it with an intimidating reverb. Identi- Great leaders, what the hell is that thing? Not good. They're shooting at us! I gasped. The two enclave pegasi had opened fire on Ditsy Doo. The wagon went into abrupt dive. Clamty and I tumbled against the wall of the wagon along with several crates. One, containing dozens of packets of Radway, spilled open, scattering the glowing orange packets. Several fell through the window that looked out the front of the wagon. I pulled myself to the window and peeked out as the wagon began to pull up, twisting as Ditsy Doo made a hard turn, weaving through the piers of the lunar line. Smoke curled up a hole in her lead barding just behind her left wing, glowing ichor seeped from her wounded flesh. Above me, part of the roof glowed, a hole the size of a fall disintegrating away. I floated out little Macintosh, pushing myself on top of a toppled crate until I could see one of the attacking pegasi through the opening. I slid into sats. Calamity launched himself out the back of the wagon. Breaking wings, I fired several shots into the black carapace of the enclave soldier. Two of the shots glanced off the armour, but the third penetrated. I ducked back down, needing to reload with either armour-piercing or magical bullets. The wagon shifted again, all of the crates sliding towards the open rear gate as Ditsy Doo tried to gain altitude. I cast out a levitation net, trying to keep Ditsy Doo from losing all the wares she was carrying. A bolt of magical energy flew into the wagon, striking one of the metal boxes and melting it, destroying whatever had been inside. I could hear Calamity's battle saddle firing. Deadshot Calamity. I was sure he hit his mark. One of the Enclave Pegasi was swooping in right behind us. The gems in her battle saddle crackled, glowing brighter as the Pegasus switched to more powerfully charged sparkle packs. I lifted little Macintosh, my targeting spell allowing me to lock onto the Pegasus's head. I hadn't had time to swap bullets, but if I could hit the visor, I was sure my shot would go through. I was thrown back violently as Ditsy Doo came to a complete stop. The chasing Pegasus tried to pull up, but slammed jarringly into the back of the wagon roof. We started moving again as the black carapace-clad Pegasus dropped to the ground, unconscious. I was cleaning up the crates, levitating them into order when Calamity flew back in. I'm sorry, little pip, but I couldn't bring myself to kill the fellow, he said, his muzzle etched in a grimace. I grounded him with a shot through the wing, but we'll likely have more trouble from that lot. He looked away. I used to be one of those soldiers. I understood. Do you want to talk about it? Calamity shook his head. Not right yet. Let's get you better first, he said, looking for time. But yeah, I reckon I'm going to have to talk about this sooner than later. Oh, it just keeps getting better. I groaned as we spotted the Enclave Array on top of Tempony Tower. Ditty Doo veered away, looking for a safe place to land, some place out of sight. We would have to approach Tempony on hoof, or more precisely, I would. Enclave presence in Tempony meant that it was no place for either of my Pegasi friends. A memory resurfaced. Open it back up! Ambrosia had yelled as the antennae-like weapons of her battle saddle had glowed threateningly. You open this room right now, or I swear by the council I will teach you what it's like to melt! I can't. I tried to reason with her. 
I'm as trapped as you are. The room can only be open from the outside. And based on the videos I'd seen on my first trip into Maraponi, only by the goddess, that was all. Just a flash. A fragment of those 30 plus minutes I was missing. Ditty Doo landed in the darkened mouth of a crumbling chariot wash. She unhitched herself from the wagon, digging a healing potion out of the mailbag slung at her side. Ditty Doo, Calamity, would you wait for me here? I asked plaintively. Just a few hours, in case I can't get in, or something goes wrong. In case homage kicks me out. Ditty Doo nodded swiftly, then dropped her chalkboard and wrote a single word. Muffins? I smiled. If I can get a march to bake some more, absolutely. A few minutes later, I was walking through the rubble towards Tempony Tower. The building seemed so much more imposing from street level. It towered upwards, the only truly intact building anywhere close to its size, rising out of the graveyard of Manhattan like a lighthouse, serving as both a beacon and a warning. My hooves trod between emptied cans of food, old campfires, and a dozen other reminders that part of Red Eye's army had camped around the tower, cutting it off from the rest of the equestrian wasteland, threatening to destroy it with a balefire bomb. The balefire bomb I had talked Red Eye into sending to Splendid Valley so I could use it to kill the goddess and destroy the Black Book, and kill countless others, including Steel Hooves, in the act of it. The thought clawed at my heart. The little pony in my head wept quietly. I stopped leaning against a giant S, one of the more intact letters which had come crashing down from the face of the building. I wasn't breathing right. I wanted to collapse again, and I couldn't tell if it was from the sorrow threatening to overwhelm me, or the weakness that was racking my body. They felt like one and the same. Ahead, I saw the main entrance to Tenpony Tower had been armoured over. The whole lower floors were barricaded with a yard of magically fused rubble. The only way in, other than the roof, was through the four-star station above me. I had known this, of course, but it didn't make the idea of levitating up to the station any less exhausting. I looked upwards, and saw the black, insectoid form of an enclave soldier striding across one of the tracks above me. With a flick of my hoof, I turned on the MG Stealth Buck 2 and became invisible. What do you mean she's not here? I cried as I followed Lifebloom. Lifebloom led me through the secret parts of Tempoli Tower, places that neither the citizens of the tower nor its new, armor-clad guests knew of. Just that little pip, Lifebloom affirmed. The Enclave shut down her broadcast. Apparently, they have the ability to override whatever any of the rest of us are doing with these towers. But it will still be my project, right? Rainbow Dash had asked. It will still be the Ministry of Awesome. The Enclave didn't control the central hub for the single Pegasus project, but they controlled who knew how many Ministry of Awesome hubs above the clouds, and Rainbow Dash had assured that the Ministry of Awesome had overriding authority. I knew my homage. She wouldn't stand for being shut down. She would see the truth got out if it killed her. Why did she leave? I asked, worried more for her now than I had been when Tempony Tower faced Red Eye's bomb. That, at least, I had been in a position to prevent. Yesterday morning, just a few hours after they took control of the airwaves, Lifebloom told me as we reached the chamber where he would purge the taint still trapped in my body, she took a bunch of those override devices like the one she gave you for the Philadelphia Tower. Said she had an idea. You go, homage, I whispered, wanting to cheer for her despite my worries and fears.
Dixie Doo's hooves touched down on the docks of Friendship Island. Oddly nice being able to approach Friendship City without being shot at, ain't it? Calamity asked me as he hopped out the back of the wagon. Uh, yeah, I said, mimicking his accent decently. He chuckled. Dixie Doo detached from the wagon and shook herself, the lead-lined cloak fluttering. She had been disappointed but understanding about the lack of muffins. Calamity had been concerned when my stay at Tempony Tower had proven so short-lived. But without homage, and with Pegasi and Black Carapace armour walking through the public areas of the ritzy building, I found myself without reason or desire to stay. Watching a couple armoured enclave ponies looking into the window of my locked-up former cheese shop as they chatted about how they would require hero discounts was the final buck that drove me back outside. A guard pony was approaching us, her eyes shifting between the two Pegasi. So it's a visit from the great and benevolent enclave, is it? Calamity coughed, stomping a bit. Not hardly. Really? The guard asked, moving closer. Then let me see your flank. I raised an eyebrow at that, but Calamity turned, taking the anti-radiation barding in his teeth and pulling it up over his flank, revealing the scar in the shape of a cloud and a lightning bolt that destroyed his cutie mark. All right, then, the guard mare said, relaxing visibly. Welcome to Friendship City. She gave us a pleasant smile. Her eyes scanned over the wagon and then looked at Ditsy Doo, widening in surprise. Ditsy? The Wasteland Survival Guide, Ditsy? Ditsy Doo gave a happy clop at the recognition. DJ Pwn3 said you were a ghoul, but he never said you were a glowing one. Ditsy Doo set down her chalkboard and wrote on it before kicking it over to the guard. Glow is new. Too much splendid valley. Friendship City can fix? The guard read the chalkboard and looked uncertain but hopeful. Well, if there's any pony who could help, it would be Dr. Freshwater. She's in charge of the science station built into Friendship Island. She created the war purifiers about a decade back, and has spent the last few years working on unlocking the mysteries of what she calls the Children of the Bombs. Cheesy? I thought aloud, suspecting that I might very well fit into that category. Life Bloom had magically purged me of taint, but I had been exposed to a lot of it, both through direct contact with a dirty IMP lake in Maripony, and later in trace aerosol amounts from the leak in the safe room. According to Life Bloom, all of my internal organs were in the right places, and I hadn't started to change size or grow wings, but the taint had altered me on a fundamental biological level. According to the unicorn, I was closer to being an alicorn than to being a pony. I did not consider this a good thing. The goddess claimed the alicorns were improved and superior, better suited than ponies to survive and thrive in the new world, and their natural successes. I just felt like a stranger in my own skin. The guard gave me a look. And anything I can help you with, friend? I thought a moment. We're just here to help Ditsy do, and we'll be staying as long as that takes. Could you give us a quick picture of Friendship City? The guard nodded. You bet I can. Basic rundown is this. Friendship City tries to be a good place for decent ponies to live with as much freedom and safety as we can offer. The island makes that pretty easy. We don't get much trouble from raiders or slavers out here. Usually just the occasional sea serpent or radigator. We occasionally get refugees or folks looking to settle down. We do the best we can for them, although we're beginning to run out of room. Raspberry Tart wants to start building shacks around the base of the main city. But Mayor Black Seas is impeding the expansion. She doesn't want Friendship Island becoming a shantytown. I nodded, taking mental notes. Friendship City is run by a local council of three August ponies. Dr. Freshwater, who I already told you heads up the science station. 
Mayor Blacksees, who speaks for the general citizenry, and Chief Lantern, who is the head of the guard. If you're looking for temporary housing, your best bet is the Warm Smiles Inn. You could also seek refuge in the common room for free, but I don't recommend it. The guard scowled. Place is run by Raspberry Tart. Mayor says she runs things crooked. I don't know about that, but I do know she takes advantage of the lack of supervision she has fostered around that place. Dixie-Doo bristled and neighed, stomping a hoof. At my questioning look, she trotted over and recovered her chalkboard, erasing it with her hoof and writing, RT does bad business. No muffins for her. The guard began to lead us around to the science station entrance, which backdoored onto the docks. Despite the city's name, the entrance looked anything but friendly. Thick armoured slabs operated by pneumatics sealed the science station with armour-shielded turrets covering the approach. There was no lock and no terminal, just a camera. The door could only be opened by some pony inside. A little green mat of faux grass and white flowers lay at the foot of the door, saying, Welcome. Raspberry Tart is the head of the Merchants' Union. Mayor Blacksees says she's building a case to get her thrown out of the city, but the others won't act unless they have proof, for fear that she'll take many of the merchants with her. The guard rolled her eyes. That is, assuming she could even get out the front door. The guard waved a hoof at the camera, smiling. I heard the turrets power down as the thick slabs slid open with a deep-throated hiss. Now, I'm afraid you'll have to turn in your weapons at the door, the guard mayor cautioned. Friendship City is a friendly place, friends, and we want to keep it that way. You'll get them back once you leave. I recommend you take a moment to introduce yourselves to Mayor Blacksees as soon as you get Ditsy Doo settled in. You'll find her in Blacksees supplies. She then smiled to Calamity. And I imagine you'll want to be paying a visit to Radar, our resident Dashite. Calamity gaped in dumbfounded surprise. Radar's still alive? He gasped. And he's here? Yes, indeed. Ancient as dirt, but he's still flapping his wings. He was in charge of the science station back when Friendship City was founded. Helped turn the city into the place it is. I blinked, suddenly remembering a chapter from the Wasteland Survival Guide on the founding of some city somewhere. I had only skimmed the chapter at the time I read the book. After all, I'd be more interested in basic survival tips than grandiose concepts like settlement building. And then I remembered Calamity's assertion that a Pegasus had helped string up the rope bridges connecting the freestanding sections of Friendship Bridge. The guard grinned at Calamity's expression. I take it you weren't really expecting to see another Dashite in your lifetime. I giggled at my companion. I want to pick up your jaw before you come in. Calamity was turning in his battle saddle at the guard station just inside when a water-blue unicorn pony, with a short shock of raspberry mane and a matching short tail, trotted up with a sense of urgency. Dressed in her lab coat, she looked very scientific. Hello, everypony. Welcome to the Friendship City Science Station, where we're making a better tomorrow for all pony kind. Please, please come in, she encouraged. I'm Dr. Freshwater. This is my facility. Please make yourselves at home. Don't touch anything. She shook my hoof and then spun immediately to Ditsy. Ditsy do, is it? Dr. Freshwater asked, floating on a pair of glasses and trotting over to get a closer look at our glowing ghoul Pegasus. She floated out a small device that began to click-click just like the radiation sensor on my pit-buck. Ditsy do nodded, apparently at ease with the abrupt invasion of personal space. Let's quickly get you to the radiation testing chamber, shall we? My, your output is impressive. And this is a new condition? When did you become like this? Where did you get such exposure? Um, no, no, don't stop to write anything, just come along. The doctor was already trotting away, motioning with her tail for Ditsy-Doo to follow. 
Let's get you all hooked up. Dixie Doo glanced back over her wings, giving us a look I couldn't interpret because her eyes were doing that weird thing of hers again. Then she fluttered off after an impatient Dr. Freshwater, who seemed eager to poke and prod her all in the name of science. She'll be all right, won't she? I asked a passing lab pony. Oh, yes, sure, the pony drawled. Once you've got the glow and once trapped in, she'll stay on the safe side of the glass. I meant Ditsy do, I said crossly as the lab pony ambled away. I'm sure she'll be fine, Calamity assured me as he flew up next to me, battle saddle free. Dr. Freshwater seems a bit odd, sure, but if she can help get Ditsy do back to Silverbell any faster, I'm sure the old mare will be happy to put up with the tests. I shuddered, disliking the idea. This was why we were here, why Ditsy had wanted to come, but that didn't make me feel comfortable with it. I hope they did right by her. End of part one. This is another really long chapter, folks. I've just got to take a little break. So enjoy some music and come back next time. I'll be back with part two soon. Here's Skybolt with the Wanderer. Enjoy, people. They call me the Wanderer, yeah, the Wanderer. I roam around, 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 around. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.